Hello folks, Rob here in Bunker Studio. Before we start our episode today with Zach Phillips of Wilmington Short Order Production House, I have a few reminders for you. Uh, tomorrow, Saturday, June 27th at 1 p.m. in Dover, uh, it's the rain date alert for the March Toward Justice in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. It was po postponed last week due to weather and now has a new date, which is tomorrow. Uh, we spoke to a few of the organizers early last week before the initial date. Um, so you, if you want to hear them sort of talk about what they're doing, um, you can go back and check out that bonus episode. The meetup spot is the same. It's the John Wesley AME Church on 217 West Division Street in Dover. Um, there's going to be some elected officials in attendance to speak, or at least there was. That might have been, I'm sure some of them will be there, but that could have been rearranged because of the date. Uh, but anyway, what, what they say is more or less insignificant. Uh, just be there if you can in solidarity so uh, the officials know and the media know and the people know that we're not going to be turned around and we're not going to be frightened off the street. Um, I know that reactionary backlash um, that we expected has come. Uh, you know, you have your armed police academy washouts and fascist cowards crawling out of the baseboards like little dirty pests. Um, but this will not deter us. This will inspire us. These people are scared and confused. So be as brave and as safe as you can. We did uh, sign up a few new patrons this week. Uh, thank you, new patrons. Uh, if you've made a monthly pledge, uh, maybe you could try to turn your like-minded friends and family onto our stuff. Uh, if you listen but haven't joined, please please consider doing so. Uh, for five or ten bucks a month, you can support the great work we're doing. Uh, we released a, a really fine episode I'm really proud of about two weeks ago with professors Peter B. Levy and Yasser Payne on Levy's book, The Great Uprising. And we've recorded two really big ones this week. Um, Tuesday afternoon, I spoke with former Chief Justice of the Delaware Supreme Court, Judge Leo Eastrine Jr. Uh, we discussed his critique of both uh, capitalism and our police state and the many prescriptions uh, that he has proposed on these fronts. Uh, Tuesday evening, uh, I had a great conversation with Andre Demise. Andre is a Canadian academic and a contributing editor at McLean's. Andre and I discussed using Marx as a model for organizing and how capital will co-opt any movement for justice and equality so we cannot ever believe corporations or cops can truly partner with us in our fight to replace capitalist structures with socialist ones. There's a, there's a contradictory class interest, um, and we will always lose. You can set up a monthly patronage at patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. Uh, in other news, our media project is making great progress. Uh, we have an editorial team in place. Our website is nearly complete. We have several thoroughly reported stories for our launch. Uh, while this podcast will remain independent, there will be what Dr. Payne might call cross-pollination of audio we produce that will appear on the site along with essays and articles that will meet a very high journalistic standard. What won't appear on the site are advertisements of any kind. We will be 100% independent, just like this podcast. So please consider supporting all facets of our work if you're able. Um, we're going to have more uh, on the media venture in the coming weeks. Now, uh, we hope you enjoy weekly episode number 73, featuring Zach Phillips, Left is Best. This is my 
right. I think this is my first time. No, it's like my second time coming on like an actual podcast. So, really? Yeah, I don't think I've come on a. I, I went on uh, this one nerd podcast a while back. Um, and that was the only other time. That's funny. It's here's why that's funny, because I I reread um you know your your article your post and I um and I took some notes about some other things, and one of the notes that I took was that you are actually you you produced one of the seminal Wilmington podcasts, like no one had ever done that before, and it was actually very good. The Murder Town one during the I guess it was I don't know, before or after the Eugene campaign. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, people were like, people were so, it was four or five parts, whatever. And that last part or the last two parts were put on at the, uh, either the grand or theater end. Is that what it was? The queen, the queen. That's right. I knew it was at a, in a, in a, and, uh, yeah, I mean, there was tons of people and it was like, it, nobody had ever heard that kind of stuff before. Like the news journal wasn't doing it. Um, WDEL was just straight, like talk radio and news, like no one had ever done that before and it's just funny that you have never done this um when you did that i find that funny well yeah no thanks for the compliments on that podcast i have to say that it one thing i didn't think of until you just mentioned it is i think there's probably a ton of people who have not listened to that podcast and i still am like i'm i'm somebody who's not generally proud of a lot of the stuff that i've made but i am proud of that podcast um and it's, you know, it's four episodes. They're 20 minutes long each about, uh, and it's at murdertown.us. I'm plugging. Even at the beginning of your podcast, I'm plugging. Right. Okay, we're, we're going to cut that out. Then. I know. I, I would I never cut plug. that out. I, I, that was, <laughs> and I'm glad that you're saying that too, because I feel the same way sometimes too, I, you know, just for research or whatever. I'll go back and listen to part of an episode from even like three months ago, and I'll be like, that's garbage. <laughs> so I never, it's hard to look back on something and say, ah, that's pretty good. But no, I'm glad. I Murdertown USA, Murdertown.USA or Murdertown USA? Oh, it's, it's Murdertown.US. Murdertown.US. It, okay. it ended up becoming, you know, remaking Murdertown. There's a whole story. It's right, it's all in the podcast. Uh, oh, so about, you, did you, now do you tell the story about the renaming of it and all of that as well? It's in the podcast. So like halfway, halfway through the show, two episodes into the show, I was forced to rename the show and I talk about renaming the show at the beginning of that episode. So yeah. it's a little bit meta, but, um, but yeah, the, it, it's about the juvenile justice system in Delaware. Um, and it was just one of these moments where um, everything kind of came together in one conversation. Like I had one conversation with Ricky Reyes and immediately... I was like, people need to hear just him. Like, people just need to hear his story because I think if they heard his story, they would be able to change their orientation to all these people they're scared of in the city. And that, that was the thing. It was like, here's Ricky Reyes. He's the guy you're scared of. Like, he, he is literally the guy. He's the, he's, the av he's the avatar for who you think the cops need to, like, the cops need to control. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right meet him and, and like see what happens you know like see you if, if 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 he's like you think he is you know and that was um that was that was fun i mean that was cool i felt really good about that i yeah, would like I mean, to get just back the, to doing more stuff like that the way that it was uh you know sort of this you know 
multi-episodic sort of journalism that you could follow. And it was years before they even did the um, the, the women from NPR uh, or All Things Can, or um, This American Life serial. It was before they had done that, I think. I think it was right around the same time. I actually have to look, but it, it, no, it was just after serial. Sorry, okay. it was just okay. after serial. Yeah. So you don't you don't want you don't want to take credit for doing it first. No, because <laughs> well, but the thing is, I've been listening to podcasts that were highly produced forever. I mean, I've been listening yeah. to radio, This American Life, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, you you read my post. Yeah. So what I wanted to do is just read a few of the of the. Um, well, let's do this first. Hello, everybody. We're in Highlands Bunker. Um, I'm glad it kind of we kind of went in uh, like this. Uh, my guest today wrote a very uh, interesting brief essay on technically um, the website. I guess it's sort of a I don't know how you would describe it, but it's a regional sort of economic and culture sort of sort of deal. I guess tech magazine. Te technically, yeah, yeah. I guess you would say that. Uh, Zach Phillips, who is the uh, Founder and proprietor of Short Order Productions, uh, which is a uh, a video, TV, and sound studio uh, that's very top notch in uh, in downtown Wilmington. So, hey, thanks for thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. So, the the title of the essay is "Confessions of a Looter," and it starts like this: I need to admit something. I am an active participant in looting, as a business owner, or as the elected leaders and ruling class like to call me, a job creator, I received $177,835 in taxpayer money last month, which I am free to do whatever I want with. If I use this $177,835 I was given for payroll and rent, it's just a gift to me. I get to continue operating my business as I see fit. And if I use the money to bonus myself, it becomes essentially a zero interest loan. And then you close it this way. Note, we are all fully aware that we used whatever resources and any connections we had to elbow our way to the front of the corporate welfare line. You think we don't know how much more likely we are to get PPP than, say, the average black-owned business on 9th Street? None of us is above looting. And the looting that has been perpetrated on this country by those who have already, quote, made it is the reason we are here in the first place. And it's infinitely more disgusting than trashing a T-Mobile. If you've ever paid capital gains tax, or if you've ever taken the mortgage interest deduction on your expensive home, if any part of your income isn't subjected to payroll tax, if you've, quote, made it, if you know damn well that you are the beneficiary of our morally bankrupt system, and you're not eligible to judge anyone for looting. That was pretty good, man. Thanks. <laughs> so... So we, so, you know, we, um, you know, before all of the unrest, uh, we had a couple of shows about PPE and, you know, about really the deficiencies in it because we had a couple of small restaurants uh, close up and basically, you know, they couldn't do business remotely. Um, when they started back up, it wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't be able, there was no way that they could function in a limited basis, so it just it didn't work for them. And in your case, um, it quote-unquote works for you, um, but under a context that um, you described very eloquently. And uh, yeah, what, what drove you to write that? Um, 
I'm somebody who's more likely to uh, kind of stay quiet um, if I can't think of something to add to a conversation. And that may be surprising <laughs> maybe to my wife um, or to some people, but I don't, I don't, I, particularly when something goes wrong and everybody around is like kind of screaming about it. I'm like, I don't have more anger than these other people. I don't have more pain. I don't have, I'm sorry, but like, I don't have a more woke thing to say. I don't have any of that. And I was, I was sitting there and I was, every time people started talking about looting and really focusing on that in the news, I would just get so, I was getting angry and I didn't know why I was getting angry at it. And it's like, because I do think looting is terrible and I do think it's disgusting and I don't, you know, I, I particularly since I don't know if you know this, but like, most insurance doesn't cover civil unrest. I don't know if you if you know this, but like a lot of people who got their places trashed, they're just gone. You know, like they don't have anything unless the government steps in. I did. I I did not know that. I found. I did find that out subsequently, and it actually led to a very difficult conversation with a friend of mine. But I I didn't know that until just just recently. Yeah. Yeah. So. So it sucks. But it was the focusing on that. It's like, it's, it's once again, let's turn it around. You know, this, if, if, if every American city is on fire, that's not the actions of some individuals. Like, I'm not, like, that's not the fault of some individuals. That is a natural event. Like, that is the natural reaction that humans have to something. And... I was thinking about basically the fact that the average black family has 10%, if that, the wealth of the average white family, median, average, it all kind of is the same. It's like 10%. And knowing the way PPP went down last month and everything, I was just like, this is why. Like, I'm, I'm finally like in a spot where and by the way, I'm not, I don't want to represent that like my business is some kind of great business and is super profitable and I'm doing really well. Like that's not true, but like I'm finally like, that's all relative, right? First of all, that's all relative. Secondly, I'm finally doing well. And as soon as like I'm doing well, something goes wrong and they like pass a bill bipartisan 98 nothing in the Senate that gives me a whole shitload of money to decide what to do with. Are we allowed to swear on this show? Absolutely. We actually, we, we, we encourage it. No, but I'm, I'm like, and, 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 and I remember having the conversations. I called my friends. I called my other business people. Everybody, we all called each other. And we were all like, wait a minute. Where's the catch? Like, where's the part where I have to pay it back? And it's like, no, they're just going to pay your payroll, but they're doing it through you. And that's the part where I'm just like, okay, like this is going to be massively abused. And of course it immediately was. And yeah. on, on, on my side, I mean, I kept almost everybody on my team almost. And, but even then, I mean, imagine I, my particular business wasn't affected so badly, which it was, but imagine it weren't those would have been my two best months ever. 
I could have, I could have bought a new addition on my house. It's stupid. Like it's, 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 it's ridiculous. And, and so I realized that's looting and it's looting on kind of just this systemic, this systemic, just kind of banal. This is just how we do things like business owners. They already pay their employees. So let's just give them a bunch of money. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm droning on about it, but it, it pissed me off. And I was like, okay, how about this? Fine. That looting's bad. Here's the looting. That's really bad. Yeah. No, I, I think. People need this. This situation needs to hopefully shed light on all of this and add context. I'm talking next week um, to two academics. One, Peter Levy, who wrote uh, a book about the uprisings of the '60s and '70s, and uh, actually a sociologist who's been on this show before, Yasser Payne. Yeah, I love and, Yasser Payne. Yeah, um, hopefully I might see him tonight out there somewhere. Um. The, the point of the Great Uprising book is to put historical context into the, these uprisings um, because they're looked at in different ways now and it's really not right. And the whole point of it is, is, is natural events. The conditions of people over periods of time create this situation. Now, they could be kicked off for different reasons. Very often it is police violence um, or assassination of king or whatever. Uh, but... The, the actual impetus behind these are years and years and years and years in the making of just the natural way that we accept things are done. And that's why, it's, it's exactly what you said. I, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, individual responsibility does not apply when something is happening at a massive level. Like, at, at a, at a, like here's how I've been trying to think of this, and I wrote another tweet after that. Um, I actually originally published that post as just a Twitter thread. I actually saw it on Twitter and then went back and read it. And then I, I was like, oh, this was a thread that turned into this. That was pretty good. Yeah. That's, that's another story of 2020, I guess. <laughs> right. So a tweet after that was, was just basically like, when an individual blames their problems on society, it's usually a cop-out. But when a society blames its problems on individuals, it's always a cop-out. Like that's that, because, because to me, like if there was one guy burning stuff, if there was, you know, three, three people, you know, trashing some stores, then yeah, that's individual responsibility. Um, when every city in America spontaneously combusts, you know, after watching a video of a guy just getting murdered in broad daylight, um, that's not individual responsibility. That's that. That's the that's the natural outgrowth of many many years of systemic, just kind of relentless oppression. And so, well, anyway. So 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 I'm I'm just tired of talking about things in that way. It's like, and and you can make the same case on the wealth on the wealth front. It's like if 50 years after after civil rights and 150 years after the you know the emancipation of you know enslaved people, if if all that time has passed and the average wealth of a black family is 10% of a white family, that's not, has nothing to do with individuals. If you believe it has to do with individuals, that's the definition of racism <laughs> because yeah. it could not exist without it being systemic. Yeah, and individualism even goes a step further. I jotted it down because 
it's one of those uh, myths that, as you said, we have to start. We have to start shattering the belief that everybody is responsible for exactly what's happening to them. And because of our society and how complicated it is and the history of it, that's not true. But everybody needs to think that whoever suffered, whoever uh, is 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 poor, whoever's whoever's material conditions are are bad, and whoever's afraid of the police, it's their individual fault. Uh, and and it works right into the capitalist idea too that if you succeed or you fail, it's your responsibility. And we've given everybody the tools they need to do it, and so you just go do it, and then we're we're out of it. And that's until the, an, uh, and yeah, until an emergency happens. Oh, in of course. Which case, we're, we're going to go ahead and really enjoy this socialism, those of us who already have some money, and yeah. forget about everybody else. Yeah, I mean, I think I talk about that a lot, like this idea that people, we have to start breaking these spells. Like we can't allow people to say uh, these, these, these myths about individualism, for example. We can't allow people to say that there were no material conditions that led to this kind of social unrest. Uh, we can't allow. I, I mentioned to Carl Baker, um, one of the journalists in, at the News Journal, about the, the the term public-private partnership. You know, people just say that like, oh, well, that's that's inherently good because that we've been told that that's good, and it, actually, it isn't. Um, so often, the worst of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah, we and we we saw that with the uh, the Great Wilmington Transit Hub heist. Um, so yeah, this is the the real work. I think is going to be organizing and getting people to focus on the fact that the the things that they took for granted as as you said as this is the way we do it that's exactly why this is happening that's it uh, that's it i mean and i want to be specific about it i'm tired of i'm tired of talking yes. in just generalities right it's like that's why i'm i, I and again i i'm I want to be specific. I, I, I don't want to say that I want to get all scientific and like, here's my facts and my facts are, are correct and you cannot dispute these facts. It's, it's more like, hey, we need to get more money uh, out of the hands of these very few people who are fine into the hands of these many people who are not fine. And it's very simple. You can look at it in numbers. If if you didn't have a family that had $200,000 in net worth, which is, you know, a higher end white family or whatever, you may not have survived several of the trials of your life. And you may not have gotten through them. You may not have gotten what you've got now. And so, and, and, and so on your individualism thing, I think one of the things that's confusing for people is like, Individualism does apply at the level of the individual. Like, as an individual, it's not super helpful for me to think about what I'm a victim of. I actually believe that. It's, it's, more, it's much more useful as an individual to take responsibility for your own life and figure out your own shit and get it done, um, no matter how hard your life is. Uh, but that doesn't apply when you're talking about groups of people. It's just, it's not a useful lens, you know, um, to look at a whole group of people because, and, and I think this is one of the things, and I'm going to say this is probably one of the more controversial things I will say. I, we, we love, we also, we all, not only do we, uh, do we say swearing's okay, we also ask you to say controversial things. No, I think controversially, I think one of the reasons it pisses 
me off so much, and, and I'm sure it pisses a lot of people off, is it's inherently racist. And, like, and I, don't, I don't like to throw around the term racist either if it's not useful. But I, just to really understand precisely what I mean, if you say that the, the troubles faced by black people in America have anything to do with individual responsibility, it would be one thing if we were off by a few percentage points. It would be one thing if they had, you know, they were 20% more likely to go to prison. They were, you know, they had 80% of the wealth of white families, right? It's like, no, it's like 10% and they go to prison at like six times the rate of white people for the same crimes. And it's even worse than that, right? If you look at that and you, and you talk about individual responsibility at all, it's racist. You're saying that there's something different about them. Yeah, Yasser Payne made this point when we talked about street par. The, the, um, the data that he's getting and putting it together and looking at you know, all of these different, whether it's jobs, education, um, access to, to desegregated uh, accommodations, all this stuff. He's like, when you look at this, these hard numbers, they can't get that way on Earth. Like they, it's, it's actually impossible for them to get that way if it, was an, if it had to do with individual, I don't know, initiative or individual. It it's impossible, statistically. It's, it can't be done. <laughs> you, you, you can't do it. You couldn't. And, and if, you're, if you're somebody who has a lot of money, this is, this is the part that I think we need, to, we need to change. And we need to change it quickly, or I don't know how much longer we can make it as a society, um, uh, is if you have a lot of money, you have to really try. You would have to, you have to really fuck up not to get a lot more money. Because having a lot of money, the easiest thing to do is to get more. The, the hardest thing to do is to go from no money to some money. The, the easy, and it gets easier as you go, which is, by the way, this is the next post I'm, I've, I've got kind of drafted that I'm planning on putting out, is, uh, is, is just basically how the way that we've set up the game of capitalism that we play is the opposite of all good game design. So if you're playing a game, the first level, you're playing Tetris, right? The first level is supposed to be easy. Moved, the blocks are moving slow. You have time to get them where they go. And then you progress through the levels. And then when you get to the really high levels, it's like kaboom, 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 and you're, and, and you're dead, right? The, that's the opposite of the way our capitalist system works. The way our system works, the first level is a deluge. And if you're, if you're below us, if you start below a certain level, you're, you cannot get to level one because it's the hardest level. And then as you gain money over time, as you get to $100,000, a million dollars, $10 million, forget about it. If, you, if you're somebody who has $100 million and you don't get to a billion dollars just sitting on your ass, then you, you're just trying to like, it's, it's so, it's, it's not hard, right? Yeah, it's leveraging capital to make passive income. That's, that's all it is, yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not hard. And... That's so the it flattens out, and that's how you end up with a situation that's worse than, I mean, like it's worse than feudalism, man. Like it's it's yeah. as bad as it's ever been. Yeah, I want to point this out too because I was able to find this. Um, this is an interesting statistic. I think this is a, a sociologist as well on Twitter, uh, Laura Darrencourt, I think is her name. Well, maybe we'll link to it. But this is interesting. My study of northern backlash against the Great Migration. So this would be. 
you know, late 19th, early 20th century, has no policy prescription, but it has a smoking gun. Police are the only public investment to increase in metro areas with more black migration. The only one. Not, not infrastructure, not schools, not parks, not whatever. All of that's been slashed to the bone in, in urban areas where the influx of black people in the north was the greatest. The only public service that's seen increase in spending, and that's, what, 100 years or more, uh, is the police. So that's, and, and I think that works into it because that's really the only, Chrisman made this point, the police are the only public good that the rich people still need. They don't need the schools. Uh, they don't need, there's a lot of shit they don't need, right? But the only public service they need is a paramilitary force to protect their shit. And, that, and I think that's why that smoking gun is so telling. Because we have money for, we don't have money for anything good except the cops have the best kits. They're all kitted out in the best shit. They got military shit, everything. And meanwhile, there's ER nurses and, and uh, COVID nurses who are wearing fucking trash bags as gowns. People, you know, again, I'm sort of like you. I like, these, I like these specific examples because I don't want to talk in like generalities anymore. I just, I think the time is, I mean, I, I was reading this book and it said, oh, the time is coming. Oh, we just passed it. Time's passed. Like, that's over now. Like, that week, I mean, people are in the street now and stuff's burning. Um, they're calling out the military. I think now's about the time where we can start, like, for a long time, and I'm, I, not like you, dissimilar from you, um, is somebody who always jumps into a conversation, even if I don't have something to say. Uh, but luckily, that's going to do me well, and I think you're catching on. It's like, we're, time is, the, the time has passed. We're in, you know, we're in dire straits. Um, so people need to start stepping up and having, you know, whatever kind of courage they can muster to do some of this work. And I, and I think, and I don't know where you stand on this, but my feeling has been because, because of how unevenly the power is distributed, um, some part of this has to be from the, the privileged power class voluntarily giving up some of that power or figuring out ways to change the game so that they can give up power at a rate that is fair and you know slow you know slow enough for their comfort level i'm i'm somebody who 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 doesn't think this is going to be possible unless that happens and so that's where strategy and this is this is something that i think also is kind of pissing me off and it's hard to be part of the conversation right now because um, I think so many people actually, I, I think we have a silent majority that agrees what the problems are in this country, like to, to co-opt the term from the conservatives, like silent yeah. majority. I really do think the silent majority of people know that um, the system is completely rigged that power, you know, begets more power and, uh, you know, treats each other and they all sit on each other's boards. And, and I actually, somebody who thinks it all happens in a very, I mean, I've, cause I've seen it. I mean, I'm, I, it all happens in a very almost innocent way. Like it's just, this is how the game is. And it's like, okay, if you're, if you're a politician and you're working in Washington, 
you know, the maximum amount of money you can make is like an okay living, having two houses, one in DC and one in your state, right? And then, but you do that. And meanwhile, your wife gets on the board of some, you know, big thing and she's getting paid pretty good. And then, you know, when you're, when you're done being in the, in the House of Representatives, like you get a nice lobbying gig. And who do you get it from? You get it from the people that you hang out with. I mean, it's, the, it's your friends, you know, the, 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 your kids' friends' parents, you know, that you go to the baseball games of and stuff. They're all, they live in this world where everything does make sense, where the rules do seem to be, to make sense and be fair. And it's just completely... Where the hell am I going with this? I was, <laughs> I was coming back around to, I, I think they're going to need to face this. And so I, strategically, I want to figure out ways to communicate with them, with the people who are winning, not with the people who already agree. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you, I, I'm going to ask you this question. Based on that, based on like trying to, to trying to show that the people who are winning aren't thinking about things maybe in the right way. So I read an article. I read the article this morning in the news journal on Delaware Online, um, and it was about the organizers of tonight's action meeting with Carney and Przicki and some other folks here in Wilmington yesterday. <clears throat> Uh, didn't come out until afterwards. And the story was that Carney and Przicki came out of the blocks saying, can you just cancel this? We'll give you something to call it off. And they're like, dude, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> like that's, first of all, it's out of our hands. And yeah, that's not how it works. And Przicki's first move after that, as, as reported in the paper today, was to say, you know, we've done so much to revitalize Wilmington and we have all of this unoccupied office space we can't, this commercial office space we can't rent. What, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, you think those people care that you're not fucking renting a commercial office space? What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, he's not even, he, in his mind, he thinks that saying that to those folks would, would, would resonate in some way? Like, do you think that the, the folks who, ha who, who, who are red with rage and, and anger from being oppressed for years and years and are in fear of the police in their neighborhoods every day, do you think they care what the occupancy rate is on corporate properties in Wilmington? I'm pretty sure they don't care. But, but, but I, I, I'm interested in your thought about this because you're there and you, and you sort of are in the middle of this um, sort of real estate thing. Um, how do we get these people to realize that, yeah, that's what you think you're doing is actually making it work. Like you're, you're, um, you're being, looking over here and getting your money and figuring out how to funnel money to Buccini Pollen Group and EDIS and, and everything and having these partnerships. Like that's actually what's causing this. Like you're, you're, you're pricing people out of homes. You're, the opportunities they have to go to work are are, are, are are exploitative labor, minimum wage labor. And all it means is that uh, downtown visions, the cops, and the Buccini Pollen black shirts on Market Street are going are gonna to hassle you. They're going to run you out. They're going to treat you like shit. They're going to put your body in jeopardy. They may take you to jail, et cetera, et cetera. 
you know, the, revitalizing Market Street just means, you know, more shit for people, basically, the people who are in the street. And I don't know how to, how to, as you said, like, how, what's the strategy to sit down with somebody and be like, okay, buddy, here's the story. Like, okay, pal. Like, how are we, how do we do that? Well, because, so on that front, like on, on revitalization of Market Street front. Um, and that's just an example of him sort of set, talking about the, um, talking about the occupancy rate of the, of the, of the. Sure, sure. And, and, and look, I don't think you're wrong in isolation. Um, I think that if your downtown looks nicer and has nicer places, it could be a good thing, but you can't just do that and make that your focus without actually having meaningful impact on the whole community. And to, again, to not, to go against speaking in generalities, right? Um, I think the thing that people are unwilling to face is what it will take to take someone who, and, and remember this, this is another thing that um, just as like a positive person, I need to highlight. Um, in any community there, and by the way, in my you know, affluent white community I grew up in, in Syracuse, there are some dangerous people. They're usually men between the ages of 15 and 25. And they, one of them ends up killing somebody. One of them ends up, you know, running a car off the road, you know, 30 times. A bunch of them are driving drunk. Like this, these, these young men always exist. And the more, the, the less resources a community has, there's going to be a few more of those people, right? There's going to be a few more dangerous people who end up hurting someone. And what it actually takes to help someone who's coming from that background is a lot of resources, a lot more than it takes. And by the way, it's actually not that much, right? Again, a lot of resources by the standards that we, you know, give people $1,200 when there's a, you know, 40 million people out of work and we give everybody $1,200. By those standards, to take someone like my, my, my friend Ricky Reyes, who has no, you know, no money, never had any money, been in the system since he was eight years old, to actually, and by the way, he's, he's made something of himself by himself on some level, which is amazing. Um, but to take somebody from, from here to there, it's like 1,500 hours, Fifth, like 1,500 hours of continuous work with a person and helping them through all types of trouble, right? So, and I learned this from, and that you probably have opinions about all this too, but like being, working with the challenge program. Um, I'm on the board of challenge program, which is a job training program. And uh, uh, on the 7th Street Peninsula in Wilmington. And one of the things about the challenge program is they have never sought to kind of grow. Like they don't, they're not one of these nonprofits. It's like, let's just like keep growing. And they, they, they want to see success with like individual young men and women, but mostly men 
who come into the program. And what they've learned through 20 plus years of data is that they need to spend about 1,500 hours directly one-on-one -on -one with the people that they work with in order to get them completely out of the system, meaning they're no longer, you know, they're, they're, they, they have jobs, they're, they're paying taxes, you know, they're not going back to jail, they're taking care of their family, etc. Yeah, I guess my, my, my position on that is, again, as I said, well, the reason I read the, the, the police funding statistic, or, or just a sort of summary of statistics, was that I believe that, like, what you're talking about, I would think of as ameliorating the problem that we, that we have, which is very, number one, it's very important. Number two, it does, we are able to glean from that what we can get if we do put resources toward everybody uh, in society. But I, my opinion is that before we try to make sure somebody doesn't go back to prison, or before we try to retrain somebody or get them the medical care that they never got when they were 10, 20, 30, and now they're 40, whatever it is. Help them with a mental health issue, a drug issue, whatever. Before we do any of that, we have to start at the beginning. There's no reason the schools should look this way. The cops shouldn't have tanks and the schools fall, be falling down. The minimum wage should be $20 an hour so that everybody that works has money. Everybody should get health care so we don't have to worry about ameliorating problems down the line. You don't have to worry about paying it because it's, it's, it shouldn't be for profit because health care as a universal program for everybody ameliorates that problem all the way down the line. And by the way, um, uh, if you're actually for entrepreneurship, which a lot of, the, you know, a lot of people claim to be, right. um, uh, universal health care is the absolute number one thing that would uh, prop up entrepreneurship in the United States of America. If you want people to start a company, give them health care and they'll try. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and I, I don't know what your personal situation is at the company that you run or how many employees, but I, I, I would think it would be, I don't know how the numbers run, but if health care was just taken out of the equation and I, I don't know what you provide or what the subsidies are or how much you pay and they pay or whatever, but it just seems like a ridiculous way. It seems like a ridiculous way to ha provide half of half a service that if you provided the full service from the beginning, a group like on the Seventh Street Peninsula wouldn't even have to put in the fifteen hundred hours because a lot of the folks would would have actually gotten regular health care from the time they were one. You know what I mean? That's the way I look at it. Of course, and, I would love. I feel like so. So I I don't know if it's. I feel like you have to address all at once, right? I agree. People I, are, absolutely. People are being damaged at every level, uh, yeah. at every moment. I mean, um, listen to the podcast. I mean, listen to, listen to the Murder yeah. Town Chronicles. Um, like, at every step, they're just getting knocked down. And I think... I think we owe something to the people who are in the middle of it. Like the people who are, are right now, I think if we were willing to face the idea that we weren't going to come up with some little thing like, oh, we'll give some, uh, some extra subsidy that we can just kind of like write out and, or some extra little tweak here that's going to put 
this over here. It's like, no, for people who've been damaged this much, and I'm saying this as somebody who has had to work really hard to kind of repair my own life from being like on the edge of being um, dead, right? And, and, and I know how hard I had to work and how much help I needed. And to take somebody who doesn't even, who, 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 who's been damaged that badly, has no resources, been damaged much worse, and now we're going to try to like get them out of the system, get them out of all of this, it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of uh, patience. And that's the other thing, patience. So it's 1,500 hours. Again, I'm, I'm quoting this stuff from Challenge Program because I, I think it's, it's, it's just something that people need to know. It takes, they've had a really high success rate, uh, much higher with the population they work with than, than most people have, have had. And what they've determined is it takes two and a half years and 1,500 hours of one-on-one -on -one time with each person. Um, so do the math. I mean, that's a, that, that's a lot of labor. And, and it's also very similar to like what it takes if you want to turn your life around. If you're like, yeah. if you're somebody who's, who's, who's really screwed up as I have, um, it takes a while to turn your life around and like get a new basis on which to live and repair some of your, the things that are getting in your way psychologically and emotionally and um, learn how to work, learn how to get up on time, learn, you know, uh, in many cases with, with the kids we're talking about, it's like figure out where your birth certificate is so that you can pay the fine that you owe that has a warrant out for your arrest which is why you're not allowed to live with your mom, which is why you're living on the street. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And it's like, it's yeah. an impossible situation to get out of unless you have somebody with you advocating for you, spending the time checking in with you every day. How are things going? What do you need? How can we get you to here? It takes, it takes work. We've screwed it up. Like it's yeah, and, and I And I absolutely, I, I don't want to come off in any way uh, that I'm thinking about, like, I don't know how to put it, leaving somebody in the field, like realizing we got here and now look, look at these universal programs and not, uh, look at this because it's, it's bad. Like you said, it's bad. I personally think, again, if we take money from the police and, you know, if there's a fight on a street corner or a fight in a house or a robber, just, you could, you can send a, a, a social worker. You can send a, a few security people. You don't have to send a paramilitary to every sort of public disturbance. It's not necessary. You don't, you know, and, and I think that because I, because what I don't want to forget is that the, the reason that the folks are in the positions that uh, we're talking about, about how to apply some of these programs to them to, so they get job training and healthcare they need, they get the 1500 hours that needs to be done. But there are ways to keep people out of that situation to never have to do that again or to, or to do it in a completely different, different well, and way. Well, and let's be clear. This is, this is a relatively large group of people, but it's an actually small group of people, right? Like the reason I'm focused on, on the, the guys at Challenge Program is because, again, and this is, you know, 15 to, well, in this case, 18 to 22-year-old men right, are the most likely 
to commit all types of crimes. And this, this is, again, it would be racist to say that this has anything to do with race. This is just the way it is. And at a class level, you're far more likely to, well, anyway, my point is if you address that group, uh, just really comprehensively and do the investment that it would really take. And this is, this is the part that makes me so fucking angry, man, is that when they expose, like that's why this PPP thing and the, the stock market bailout just before it, when they show that they're just like, oh, $2 trillion here, $2 trillion, oh, $2 trillion. Have you done the math on $2 trillion? Like, do you, know, do you know how much $2 trillion $2 trillion could take every single one of these guys in the country and immediately set them up in a way that they could move forward with their lives. What, and then have a whole bunch left to buy houses for everyone else. I mean, that's how much money we're talking about. It's an insane amount of money um, to address a problem that in the case of the stock market, it's like, the stock market will come back, you know, the stock market will do what the stock market does. The, li the line like, goes it's, it's, it's a the line goes up. Yeah, the line goes up, the line goes down. Sometimes the line goes up, sometimes the line goes down. Eventually yeah. it goes up. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the thing is, it's, it's also the, the stock market. Um, my favorite thing I heard is the stock market is a graph of rich people's feelings. Yeah, basically. I mean, think about it now. Because of that bailout before the PPP, we have, uh, we have a, a global pandemic that's still going on. Uh, we have uh, like 25% unemployment. Uh, we have, uh, you know, up, up uh, unrest in the streets of hundreds of cities. Yet, yet the stock, the line keeps going up. <laughs> How do you think? I mean, people need to start looking at this and being like, well, that's a, that seems to be an odd situation. <laughs> yeah, that's odd. Well, I, I don't, I want to be, uh, I want to be uh, cognizant of your time. I'm sorry. I, I, I feel like I've done a bad job on your podcast here. You, I think you've done a great job. You haven't listened, you haven't listened to our podcast. So you, this is exactly, uh, but I, I want to get to something because this could go a little bit longer too, because when we um, exchanged a few emails the other day, you, you, you put a, a, a vague threat in there about arguing with me. Uh, so I want, so I want to, I, I don't know if you had something specific or you just know that I'm argumentative or did you have a specific no, topic? No, no. Well, so, okay. I'm sorry. Just one more little fact for you. I just had to do the math on this $2 trillion. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do real it. quick. With $2 trillion, you could have given every black person in the United States of America over $60,000. Yeah, but the, again, it's just when you when you when you think about what could be done just to assuage the the history, it's it's mind boggling. But again, those people sort of like in the mind of the capitalist, the, that doesn't matter. Those they there has to be an underclass. There has to be unemployment. There has to be that. They don't... They, Look, okay, here. You want to fight about that? Okay, <laughs> here's what it is. Okay, good. I, in the mind of the capitalist, right? I actually think that that's an incredibly small group of people. And I think that increasingly, very few people are drinking that Kool-Aid anymore because they can see that even though there are, there are principles, there are, there are, let's say, forces that capitalism... Um, acknowledges and 
let's say, uses to justify itself of course. that are real and that make sense, but that the system as a whole is not working, I think you're going to find very few people left who think the system is working. I hope so. I mean, that's actually fairly hopeful. Um, no, no, no. There, there really is a silent majority. And, and, and the thing about it is I think if people really knew, like if they knew how bad it really was, um, how unfair it really is, you know, like that, that, that's really what it comes down to. You can tell people it's, it's hard. Like Warren Buffett did that thing a while back where he said, I pay, you know, a lower tax rate than my secretary. And that was like a thing. And it's still like, that hasn't got through. It's like, do you, do you guys see how fucked up that is? Like he's trying to tell you that the tax system doesn't make sense. <laughs> and, and, and it's like people still don't understand that. It's like it, I guess my my issue with it is I and and I and it's true. I mean, uh, you 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 very succinctly uh, closed your your last piece like that. If you if you take these incentives, these tax incentives, whether you know whether whatever you're eligible for payroll tax or the mortgage thing or whatever, like you're getting over. Um. Uh, but but my my issue is you can say that. But are people going to listen? Number one, is it going to is it going to create the silent majority? But my biggest fear, actually, isn't even that. Is that the majority could be sixty percent, sixty five percent, seventy seventy five percent? But with the power and the capital in the hands of so few people, will it matter that sixty five? Will it matter that two thirds of the people believe as we do, or in some fashion believe it's unfair, or will they just slaughter us all on the street? Well, this is where I have to get. Um, first of all, I don't think I don't think individually any of them would want to slaughter anybody in the street. That that's that that's my opinion. Well, uh, yeah, I I I mean it's very, it's hard it's hard to, after watching the 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 police violence over the last five days, it's actually hard to believe that that's true. I I and I and I and I totally understand that, and I think again, I think it's systemic. I I think if you take individual. Mo, you know, most individual police officers, you know, most people who are in favor of the system as it is, if you take them as individuals, their internal logic and, you know, uh, their internal morality makes sense. Uh, it's at a systems level. It's, it doesn't work. And so here's what I'll leave with, uh, because I know we got to go. Um, I think that we need if if this is going to work there are several ways that we need to appeal to the people who who currently have benefited so much from the system we need them to be able to be honest with themselves to look at what they've got and to see because one thing that people who don't have money can't appreciate because they've never had money is actually when your income doubles it's not like it doubled it's actually more like it quadrupled because your cost of living is like take up, takes up a bunch of that income, right? So it's like if you, if you double, if let's say you make, you know, $75,000 and your cost of living is $60,000, right? Um, if your income doubles to $150,000, it's not like doubling. It's like suddenly you've got this extra $75,000. Now multiply that 
by hundreds, multiply that by thousands. You get people who have, you know, two private jets and they're like, well, do you really need the third private jet? Right. But at that point, you know, Michael Bloomberg is earning a private jet every day just in, just in passive income. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and and being taxed at a lower rate than, than you and me. Yeah. I mean, think what Bloomberg just did. He just went and spent, you know, over a billion dollars just to be on TV for a few weeks and do a vanity run and, and put together the apparatus just to be part of the, just to be part of this TV story. And he didn't lose any money. No, he didn't lose a dime. No, no, he, he, he didn't, didn't lose, lose any dime. money. No, the, 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 so, no, but, but I'm saying if people could really start to see just how broken that is, and then, and, and this is one area that I'm trying to, with this game idea, with this kind of capitalism as a poorly designed game, the current way capitalism works, um, to really appeal to the ego, because there's, there's actually a big ego on a lot of these people who have made it, right? As we I, know. I've, I've noticed. Yeah. So, and there's kind of like a, I won. And it's like, if you can actually show that like, uh, you, like I'm all, so anyway, I'm, I'm interested in appealing to, well, okay, fine. If you're so good at this game, why not make the game more fair and then see how you do then, right? And see if you can still win. And, and by the way, see if you can beat those people who, inherited a bunch of wealth right who you probably sticks in your craw a little bit right like if you're if you're one of these self-made quote-unquote people yeah i i i question even that this is my my issue would come back to that self-made sort of individualism thing we were talking about before because i think most of it's that but any in any i said i said quote-unquote i mean that's fair that's fair yeah you're right in, in in the economy we have right now there's you, you have to have kind of three things. Like you have to have resources, you have to get lucky, and you have to be good at what you're doing. Whereas like I think at one time, you know, you could have two of those or you could have one, one of those and maybe yeah. m- make it. Now it's like there's no, you know, you're in the gig economy unless you like were really one of the like very lucky people. Yeah. Um, so, but okay, but l- last thing, I'm sorry. I think at the level of the game that we're talking about, I think there's a, there's a good argument that cynically you can make the redesign of the game in the self-interest of those who have made it. I know that sounds crazy because it's like, well... It doesn't sound crazy at all. It's, it's, that's what I would call technocracy. It's what people. It's it's what people who believe what I do have a problem with neoliberals. Like we can just tweak this game to kind of tamp down the fires, and it'll still be in our interest, but we'll we'll recognize sort of in a performative way that there are other things there. No, I think what you're saying is is right. No, I but I, but I, and I think we can tap into that desire and find some real solutions, and then actually show how they. I mean, look, if you guys like living in New York City, guess what? Like New York City's gone. Like New York City's not going to be there anymore if you keep the economy the way it is. Like you, you think it, it, New York City's hanging on by a thread. Every single person in New York City is overleveraged. Has it can barely make it where they are. Like it's not a sustainable thing. And if and and now we're seeing it explode. Right? It's like if you like that lifestyle, if you like being able to live in New York City. We're going to have to dial this back and we're going to have to figure out a different way to do this. And, and by the way, I, I would say this too, just as I think I w- one I 
the one the one point that I'm want to get to in this line of thought about the design of the game is I would trade the beginning part of the game being easier a million times out of a million times for making it get a little harder in the upcoming steps. Like if I could have got to a spot where I, where, where I, where, where I felt like more stable and, you know, could employ people and, you know, without kind of completely destroying my health and being stressed out all the time and all that stuff. Again, very lucky guy. But if I could have got there a little easier versus now making it harder to get from like, let's say $2 million in revenue to like $5 million in revenue, I take that trade every day of the week. And if you had more people, you know, being able to live on that basis, you'd have a much stronger economy. There'd be more people buying everything. There'd be more people buying everything. I don't know. I'm sorry. I agree with you. I, I agree. I mean, it's 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 a way to sort of get everybody get everybody agency in what we're doing because that's not what we do now. We we do it so that only a small small percentage have agency, uh, and you know the folks all the way at the other end, they're they're absolutely stuck. I I I I, I agree. I I agree with that with that concept for sure. Oh, sweet. Awesome. See, we didn't even have to argue that much. Okay. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, <laughs> well, Zach, I, I, yeah, I, I just wanted to, uh, Zach Phillips, everybody, uh, Short Order Production House, uh, murdertown.us. Uh, it is a great, if you haven't heard it, it's, it's still, it, I mean, it kind of shows you what kind of work it, it is because it's still today absolutely relevant. It maybe, you know, than it was the, the day that it was released. Um, yeah, take take a listen to that, um, and for everybody who's uh, going to be out there with me tonight, uh, like I said, uh, moral and physical courage. Um, you know, do the best you can to say what you got to say and show solidarity with everybody, and just watch your neck. Don't do anything stupid. Um, I love all you guys, so let's do it like that. Left is best. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me.